What's up, everybody? My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you are tuned in to Kinda Neat. Thank you for tuning in, as always. If you're new to the show, I do a little bit of an intro uh, and talk about life, and then you'll hear a beat, and that's where uh, the interview with this week's guest, Swarvi, will begin. So if you're trying to find that interview, fast forward till you hear a beat. That's totally fine. You don't have to listen to me. If you're a return guest and you listen to the intros, shout out to you. I don't know why you want to listen to my boring life, but here we are. You know, I did this interview a week ago, and I'm recording this intro on Sunday night. And I was thinking about what I wanted to do the intro about, and I was thinking, oh, I'll just tell them about this podcast I listened to because it changed a lot of my views on education and integration of schools. It was called Nice White Parents, and it essentially um, changed a lot of my opinions about integrated schooling, which I've talked tons about on the show. Like, I really believe that integrating schools is like the only way that we'll be able to stop future generations from being such racist assholes when they grow up. Or I've also always read that, you know, when uh, white children um, go to public schools, then the money follows them, which helps all the students, right? And this podcast goes on to kind of uh, prove, theorize and prove that that's not necessarily the case because when white children integrate into schools that are predominantly black and people of color, the parents come in and the money comes, but then the black parents and parents of color get bulldozed by these white parents who are used to demanding what they want. And so all of a sudden, yeah, the school is getting money, but it's not being distributed um, for equal benefit for white children and black children and and children of color. And so it was a really interesting listen. I would highly recommend it to you. It's called Nice White Parents, right? I got through it in five days. It even brought up something like I I talk about education a lot on the show. I'm very curious in people's education. And oftentimes when I talk to people who uh, just seem smart to me, I'm like, oh, you must have grown up in gifted and talented programs or gate programs, right? Because I grew up going to a gate program. and And then I found out via this podcast that gate programs are actually rooted in systemic racism and that it was that when schools... Uh, were forced to integrate after the civil rights movement, white parents went, well, I want my kids somehow on a different track than these black children. And so they created gifted and talented programs to basically take their kids out of school, like be in the same school, but be in different classes, right? And a lot of the tests for gifted and talented are actually inherently biased and racist. Ah, man, it was... I just feel so bad having learned all that, right? But I would recommend you guys go listen. I was going to make the whole intro about that. That said, in this week since we recorded the podcast, another recorded and widely broadcast police shooting was released. More traumatic events that the black community have to live through and that White people fucking spread around on social media, not thinking about like they're shocked by it, but not thinking about how this could affect people that aren't white. And Jacob Blake was shot seven times in the back by a police officer for seemingly no fucking reason. And then, of course, they do all the media things where they say, oh, well. You know, a few days afterwards, oh, they found a knife in his car. Man, who the fuck cares if you got a knife in the car? I probably have a knife in my car right now. 
I walk around with a knife in my pocket sometimes. I guarantee you a police officer wouldn't shoot me if he pulled me over. And that's an obvious statement as a white man in America. It's not, that's not a revolutionary or progressive by any means. It's just a fucking statement. It's just a fact. It happened in, a, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and immediately protests begin taking place. Upon which, on the second day of protesting, some white supremacist militia kid, fucking 17-year-old incel Kyle Rittenhouse goes on to kill three protesters or two protesters and shoots another protester injuring him critically and all of this happened in a week and we're right back again in the continuous cycle of police violence and the radicalized right trying to militarize the second amendment and police looking the other way while white militia men and vigilantes try to commit quote unquote street justice or some shit. I don't know what the fuck. They're just playing like military dress up, cosplay. And then over this weekend, Trump has been encouraging all of his fucking goons to get in their big douchey raised trucks and drive through Portland and they just drove through Ventura Boulevard in Los Angeles and he tweets and calls them great patriots you know I saw a a good hypothetical question on Twitter like what's going to happen if Joe Biden does win who are the liberals and the progressives going to blame at that point when the police shoot another black man which they inevitably will And I got a good laugh out of that hypothetical because, yeah, that said, it's not a liberal issue. It's not a conservative issue. It doesn't matter who the fucking president is. This shit has been just going on continuously since the dawn of police forces in America. And at this point, I just don't think there's any reform. It's just so shitty in the fucking country right now and it just keeps getting shittier it's terrible oh and that same week chadwick boseman died which is completely and utterly heartbreaking i am not someone to um get overly emotional about celebrity death most of the time but this one fucking hurt man this one really hurt and reading through twitter that night and seeing the testimonials uh, about the representation that Black Panther gave a huge part of America and reading about his kindness and that he was doing this all while having colon cancer, uh, man, that shit was devastating. This is a, a huge loss in my eyes for the entertainment industry and what disheartening news. Uh, just terrible. Rest in peace to Chadwick Boseman. I mean, how many, <laughs> how many fucking important black artists, athletes, musicians can we lose in 2020? I don't know. It is terrible. Um, been a rough week. It's just been a really rough week. And 
to top that all off, just to like put a shitty cherry on top of it all, fucking racist ass Tom McDonald put out a new song and knocked WAP off of the top of the iTunes charts. The audacity, the caucasity, the audacity and caucasity of that shit. Good grief. Man, I hope you guys are keeping your head above water. I hope that uh, despite all the evil and negativity in the world, you're somehow being able to maintain, you know, on a personal note, I had a long conversation with Ben this week just to check in on him because it's different, man. Everybody's, we're working from home. A lot of people are working from home for their first time. I've been doing it for 10 years, so I've gotten used to the to the routine of it and to forcing myself not to just be in pajamas all day and, and, you know, to get outside the house, but some, you know, people haven't experienced that yet. So if you're one of those people and going like, man, I don't know why I feel like such shit this year. Think about if it's, if it's you telling you not to get off the couch or if it's your fucking depression, you know, cause a lot of people I think are experiencing or learning what, or who, who maybe didn't realize that they had, depression inherently or thought that maybe depression only happened when sad things happened to them are just going for the first time in their life why do I feel like such shit right now like why can't I get myself motivated you know check in and make sure that your mental health is not uh tricking you into feeling worse because that's what your depression will do to you that I don't know yeah I hope your head's above water um, this week on the show, we talked to Swarvy. Uh, Swarvy is someone that I've been hearing about for a couple years. Uh, I think he's become an integral part of the Los Angeles underground rap scene, uh, whether it be via production, whether it be via mixing, uh, engineering, mastering, and his own musicianship. He... Um, has done a lot of great work with a lot of great people. And we talk about that on the show, but mainly the main reason I wanted to have him on the show was because he just released a beautiful record called Sunny Days Blue. And it really is one of those types of, it's one of, I call it a pop record just because I don't know what the hell genre it is, basically. Uh, It's just a good vibe record i would suggest it if we i mentioned it on the show but i would suggest if you were a fan of beach house or morning benders and whatever they change their name to uh maybe m ward maybe sufjan stevens artists like that i would say this might be up your alley artists hate to get compared to people i do too i get it but in order to comprehend music and be inspired to listen to something it makes sense to reference something you may have already heard i just think the record is so beautiful the performance um that he did he came in with just an acoustic guitar uh and 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 the vocal and i said you know what you're a mixing engineer and i'm sure that this music is so precious to you like why don't you take it home and see your interpretation of it and the mix he sent back this is the first time that we've ever had somebody other than ben mix one of the songs and his mix is beautiful. He turned it, he he went from um, just that acoustic and the vocal to just this warm, beautiful, it, it almost comes off more like an acoustic remix, and I'm just so happy about it. So yeah, I can't recommend the 
album, Sunny Days Blue, more. You probably have heard him work with guys like Loji, guys like Pink Sifu, Zero, all these rappers that we love. And so he's also just got a good outlook on life, well-studied in music. And I'm that's it. I'm gassing it up enough. I'm just going to let you guys listen. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Swarvi. So I want to apologize in advance if I'm like oh, asking no questions where like, oh, you didn't know about that? Because I probably won't. There's that, a lot to keep track of. It's I, a I, lot. I don't expect anybody to no, know. I, know. I, I can't even remember all the shit. I'm myself. saying, hey. yeah, because you've been heavy in this for like some years now. And you <clears throat> not only put your mixing muscles behind things, but also your production skills, your creative touch is just you, you've blessed a lot of different projects over the last like how, how long would you say? Five, six, seven years? Uh, I've been doing I've been doing music for a long time. Yeah. Uh, I've been since I've been in LA though it, it got I ramped it up a lot yeah. so that's about f- that's like five and a half years now yeah wow where did you move from from Philly oh from you're from Philadelphia yeah. oh yeah. no shit you, you know since we've been back you're like the third or fourth guest from Philly that we've had on uh you you had Loji on here Loji right? th- yeah. is that so that's how you and Loji met was in Philly I actually I did I met him really briefly in Philly but we didn't connect until I, we both were in LA at the same time no way yeah. that's weird but then you guys are here and have that Philly connection yeah yeah that's mm-hmm. cool what is it growing up in Philadelphia what's it like w- were you around a lot of music as a kid Philly's got an interesting music scene I was in Philly for like first like I don't know however many first years of my life and then my my family progressively would move into like a suburb like outside closer like outside as as time went on but I was all Philly was pretty much where I would always go to be active with music it has an interesting scene um when I was coming up like as a teenager I'm not sure if it's still like that it probably is huge house party house show scene okay yeah huge like everybody was throwing shows in their house there was always different houses to go to and it was like a it was active those shows would get packed out I've seen some amazing shows in people's basements and stuff and like what kind of music is playing at those shows live rap bands a lot of punk shit not as much uh, rap but like there was a lot of noise music actually that was a huge thing Um, when I was a teenager, uh, I'm 30 now. So like when I was playing shows, I was been playing shows since I was like, like 13, 14. No way, that yeah. early. And you started off in the punk scene then? Uh, I started off just like, yeah, like that. My, my brother's older than me. He's like, uh, he's nine years, eight years older than me. And th- is that your only sibling? No, I have an older sister as well. Okay. So I'm, I'm the youngest. But my brother, he was like, he used to study music at uh, Temple. Oh, wow. Uh, and then he switched over from pharmacy. But he still is an act. He's like insane with classical piano. That's like his bread and butter. Yeah. But um, so he brought me around like uh, all his friends. So I was always playing with people his age. So I was trying to keep up with the older kids, which makes you that much better at everything. Right. Yeah. 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 I was playing a lot so I could play. And so like that's I was always around them. Maybe not always the best influences, but that's, uh, you know, what I mean, did your parents um, make you guys play instruments, like take lessons as a kid? Or what is it that got you guys both into it? I think for him, I think he just tried everything. He's the first son, right? Yeah. The first kid. So they they uh, they just tried a bunch of shit. They were just like, hey, you know, do you like baseball? Do you like whatever? He tried like every sport. And the only thing he really stuck with was piano. He was obsessed with piano. So, uh, and I think after that, my parents were like, do you want to play music? And I, and I just, uh, when I was like nine or 10, I saw Flea 
on on TV, and I was like, I want to play bass. The bassist for Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I was just like, let's go. What? Like, I want to learn how to play the bass. So I was it in a Red Hot Chili Peppers video, or was it? The... It was. Okay. Um. So that was an early influence. You're like, I need to pick up the bass because it... I just thought it was so cool. I think it was around the world. What that that record came out? What 98, 97, yeah. or something? Maybe oh. 99. So I saw it when that was out, and that video came out, and, I, and he has like a bass solo thing at the beginning, and I was just like, that sounds crazy. I was yeah. like, what is this instrument? So I wanted to play that, but I took piano lessons when I was like. Uh, five or six for like a couple years yeah. and I was kind of off it and uh, and then bass got me back into everything and from bass I learned how to play guitar and then learned, taught myself how to play the drums and then when I went to school later I had to take piano lessons and then I started getting into piano after that so like in my 20s I was just like let me learn how to put all this together yeah, so you've just been a multi-instrumentalist out the gate. Like, oh, almost, yeah, yeah, just playing like, in bands and, yeah, and it seems before like I was doing anything else. Piano wasn't enough for <clears throat> you, and so you're like, I need to pick up everything else. Yeah, I, it was like something about the way the lessons were structured. It's kind of boring, you know what I mean? I don't blame students for getting bored with that, right. with doing that. Like, so uh, I didn't really, actually, it, it probably traumatized me a little bit. Like, I didn't like keyboards for years yeah. I was just I just played on bands without keyboards or if they were there I would just kind of it would it would sound like another instrument so I, I was just I don't know why I was like that probably just because the lessons were weird you yeah. know what I mean just taking the traditional piano lessons as a five-year-old <laughs> do you have a lot of family in Philly like is it just your immediate family or do you have grandparents cousins etc yeah they're everybody's over there everybody, everybody is in that area like either in Philly or just around yeah in uh, Pennsylvania in, in general yeah even though you're nine years younger than your brother and younger than your sister, did you have cousins your age that you guys were all, uh, you know, conglomerating together and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, they're like kind of around my age. The pl closest person is my older brother. Okay. Like I spent so much time with him. He taught me a lot about, like, when he was in music school, he was nerding out on that shit. So he was he was uh, putting me on. He showed me how to like find notes yeah. with my voice and how to pick apart instruments when you listen to recordings. Yeah. You know what I mean? So really early on, he was showing me how to do all that. And just made it seem cool because he was so into it. You know what I mean? That's a cool dynamic because him being that much older than you, sometimes sociologically you could feel like uh, you guys are barely related. You know what I'm saying? Like it could be right. that only child type of thing because mm -hmm. the age difference is so big. But he really sounds like he took you under his wing and was like, yeah. look, man, I want to make sure that you're cool as fuck and understand music too. He yeah. really, whether he intended to or not, uh, he he just did that. And he just always looked out for me. He always like, I remember, uh, you know when like CDs only came out on Tuesdays? Yep. And, like, so we would go to Tower Records. You know how they do that Monday at midnight? Oh, yeah. Remember how they would open up again at midnight yeah. and you could get whatever the new release was early? We would, like, sneak out of the crib together and, and do that. That's tight. Um, and so I, those, those and he was like, probably old enough to buy you the parental advisory records by that point. He bought me my first CDs. He, he, he was always taking – he still takes care of me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, every time I'm around, he always just – he's always What were those out. first CDs? I bet you're the type that remembers that. The very first CD he bought me was probably – I think it was Hello Nasty. Oh, Beastie Boys? Yeah. Yeah, right. Because, yeah, what is it? That was 98, something like that? Yeah. So, That's with, like, like inter Intergalactic and all that on there? That was, like, yeah, I think that was, like, my junior year of high school. It's yeah. really interesting record, 99. too. Yeah. Beastie Boys are an interesting group because they had so many different styles. Like, they did punk music. They had There's, like, some Bossa Nova tracks on there. Yeah, funk, so, they had a whole funk phase. And, like... First time I heard Lee Perry yep. on that record. Yeah, and so Hello Nasty was kind of their return to that, like, doo-doo style and, like, really rapping. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, that they was They did cool. all types of shit on there. Yeah. Uh, some electro, all kind of shit. Uh, I think early on I was listening to, like, Vic. 
Yeah. Because he fucked with them. He he loved Radiohead. Okay. So I was just listening to whatever CDs he had. I would steal his CDs and then, you know, I just remember him like recording tunes off the radio onto tape and making mixtapes off the CDs yeah. and stuff like that. So. Uh, what did your folks do for work? Uh, my dad has done. My mom was always kind of at at the crib. I think since. She does. She makes dresses. Yeah. Or at least she used to. They're both retired now. Yeah. Uh, and my dad was always doing some type of like computer work uh, in terms of like I think I guess they call it like data management. Yeah. And so he was doing stuff like that, but he was he was basically the main worker, and then my mom would do that stuff supplementally, but kind of just be you know staying yeah. at home taking care of the kids. What is your I don't know as a white dude the the proper <laughs> non racist way to ask this? What is your ethnicity nationality like? What's your heritage? Uh, my mom's Vietnamese. Oh, Vietnamese. Yeah. Okay. And my dad was born uh, in Pennsylvania, I believe. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Is there a big Vietnamese population in Philadelphia, <clears throat> or were you kind of like not really? Yeah. Not really. It's more. It's bigger when it's out here. Oh yeah, there's a big. Vietnamese. Like, Westminster in Orange County yeah. is, I heard, the biggest Vietnamese population outside of Vietnam in the world. Oh, I didn't know that. So growing up, beside music, what other kind of stuff were you into? Or were you always kind of single-minded on the music stuff? Were you a drawer? Were you, were you... I did used to. Before I got into music, I did used to draw a lot, actually. Um, but it was always, like, so tedious, and it would hurt my hand, too. Yeah. Uh, so... I don't know. I just I I just liked that stuff. But yeah, it was kind of focused on music for a long ass time. It still kind of is. Did you have friends outside of music or were you some Here's the thing. I know a lot of producers. Mm -hmm. They're very isolated people right. in general. Yeah, they, yeah. they live a different kind of lifestyle. They're up all night working when right. everyone else is asleep. Is that you and have have you can you look back in your life and see that reflected even as a child? I think uh I've always had more energy at night. Yeah. Since a kid, like what when, is when, that about I producers? I don't know. It's weird. Isn't that a wild thing? I don't know what it is. Uh, I've been like that for since before I even did music. I would just have more energy at night, uh, and I would just never want to go to sleep. And when the moon's out, my mind is just more active. I just have more thoughts, and just I don't. Know, I can't shut it off sometimes. Someone needs to do like a master's thesis <clears throat> on that with people that pr that are producers, because it really is a thing. Like I've yeah. lived with producers, and we're just on the complete opposite because yeah. i'm a morning person you know i get up and do shit early and then try That's to spend nice. yeah it, it is but then i would try to sleep while people are up making beats and it's like that's fruitless <laughs> yeah you can't get to sleep when they do that no yeah yeah that but is rough uh my schedule shifts all over the place it's really hard for me to keep it one way i'll be like that when i'm when i'm in that work mode and creative mode i will i can go all night yeah. and then Sometimes I'll get tired really early. Sometimes, you know, it might be a period of time where I wake up early and I go to sleep early. But it's almost like it shifts. It just keeps moving yeah. the whole time. So I don't know. Maybe that's not good, but I, I, I feel like I get enough rest. Are you someone that's working on things constantly and always having multiple projects on your plate? Or do you take rests and go like, I'm not feeling creative, maybe take a couple weeks off or something? Or? Um, I try to balance things out more. Uh, but it's, there's always something to work on. There's all, so, it, a lot of people come to me needing help on things. So it's hard for me to, uh, and plus like, this is just my livelihood as well. So I always have to have something going, Yeah. but, uh, yeah, there's always, there's always a project I'm working on, whether it's my own or just helping other people. And, uh, I almost always have something I want to do for myself, but sometimes I don't have the time for it. And it's just, it, it's interesting actually. Yeah. It's, it's a weird balance and it changes a lot and I'm noticing over time, I'm, I'm finding ways to balance that for myself because I went too hard at, at, at a lot of points where I was just like, I didn't have time for nobody, yeah. not even myself. I wasn't even taking care of myself very well. When was that? 
<clears throat> when I first moved here, I was going way too hard. Yeah. Uh, and it probably started before that, where I just took the work so seriously, I wasn't even being present, like, when I wasn't doing work. And there's a weird thing that you have to confront when you get into a productivity type of mode, where, like, you feel like you need to do the most. And it's like, otherwise, like, you know what I mean? Even in just the way everybody treats rest, you know what I mean? People have, it's, it's almost like people have to go out of their way to, to take time for rest and, and, and even fight for it to be like, this is important too, you know what I mean? It's always about like producing and consuming, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? You produce, consume, and no, fuck rest, you know what I mean? Well, and I think part of that is we're also always consuming so much media in general, yeah. like even on the social media aspect where <laughs> if you're seeing somebody else do something great while you happen to be in one of your rest modes, you feel like, oh, no, I'm falling behind. I'm not keeping up with everybody. That's true. I remember when I was trying to teach myself how to um, get better at just making beats. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember reading an interview with Knowledge, and he's like, yeah, I make six to ten beats a day. And at the time when I was starting out making shit, I was just like, that's that's a lot more than where I'm at. So let me see if I can do that. So I went super hard and then to the point where I was doing that, sometimes more. And it was like, uh, you know, things would suffer. Like I wouldn't, like, it's a, it's a weird balance. It's not easy getting into that zone. It's so abstract too. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, music is purely abstract. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's definitely things that happen from having your head in that space for a really long time. Is the new record, uh, is it the first project where it's like 100% you? Uh, yeah, and it's almost, it's still not even 100%. I had um, a friend, uh, I don't know if you heard Takayo. Yeah. That's another project I do with this, this dude Versus. And um, we... Wait, Versus the rapper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I go way back with Versus. You know him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's I've known him since I've known him for 10 years at least. Right, he's from LA. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we got really close. Uh, he, he asked me... Pretty much when I moved here, I think the first year I moved here, he asked me to help finish that record, Copacetic. I don't know if you heard yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and so since then, we've just kind of been very close. Yeah. Um, the reason that I ask that is in creating music, or particularly I would guess like sample-based beats, and I don't know what percentage of your time you spend on that because I know you are such a multi-instrumentalist, but I would imagine that you can you can just hanker down and make sample-based beats without really having to reset yourself that often. Like you, That's why people do just work through the night and then work through another day. But I feel, and maybe this is just my own personal bias, when you're creating that full soundscape and the lyrics and putting it, this, uh, this emotional um, resonance into it, you got to live a little life to be able to do that, oh, right? Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Yeah, writing lyrics is an interesting thing because it's not, like, I, and maybe it's a practice sort of thing. I don't have as much practice with it as I do with just putting myself into the zone to make instrumentals. Because mm -hmm. um, I feel like once you tap into a zone, you can kind of take yourself there whenever you need to. Mm -hmm. But with the lyrics, it was more so, like, out of necessity where it was like, uh, I think my body just had so many things going on. I had to let it out in, in certain ways. So, yeah, just being stressed about things being just certain things that I had to express one way or another now when I listen to the record and again forgive me for saying this I, I'm a vibe person I don't listen to I don't really like process lyrics that well if I was that makes like sense. that for most of my life I'm still like that it, which is crazy because like when I was making my own music it was very lyric heavy that's all it was you mm -hmm. know and, but when I consume music particularly music um like the new record it's it's a uh, I just am soaking in the vibe and the feeling, right. and not really listening to, to to the lyrics necessarily. What what do you what would you say this album is mostly about? I think it's like uh, trying to find a, a safe space for myself, yeah. 
to heal when I felt like I couldn't express things to certain people or even like, or just trying to make sense of some of the thoughts that I had. Yeah. So there is something, I think I read a review where somebody like took this thing that was on the one sheet that Warp wrote and kind of ran with it. Like that was the entire theme of the record. And they said something about like overthinking right. and like, yeah, that's like, I guess that's kind of a thing, but it's more so just like about, uh, you know, finding peace for myself uh, to to comfort. It's, it's it was like for comforting me. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was kind of like I needed some comfort, so I gave it to myself. It, it, are there some lo- there's some love songs on there? Though. <clears throat> yeah, it's like about is for it sure. about is a little bit about it. in and out falling in and out of love? Yeah, in yeah. in a lot of different ways. Like yeah. with and it turned out to be more than what I expected it to be. Like I would write things and it would mean more than what I meant at the time. That's how it always goes. You know, you write stuff and and then you don't realize that people are drawing other things from what you wrote. Right. It didn't mean that to you, but it sure as fuck means that to them. And and that's what's cool about it. It's like it almost doesn't matter what you meant. Nope. It's more so just, you know, you put things down and people make uh, whatever assessment. I think that's that's what I like about right. about, about reading poetry and, and just music in general. Because I know I know you sure as shit didn't make a record probably to like put on and cruise to going to the beach, but that's what I would do with that record. Like Yeah, I mean, hopefully it's cool for any type of situation. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw a lot of people just mentioning getting a similar like a lot of people that reached out to me to talk about it said they were just getting very peaceful feelings super Um, you know which is great yeah it reminds me of like listening to a beach house record Mm -hmm. or a morning benders record where it's like you can't really put your finger on what the hell uh the overall theme of the the lyrics are but it's just feels so good to listen to it yeah right right right. i Uh love music like that me too that's my shit me too yeah yeah your early endeavors into music though were edgier would you say? Yeah. Yeah. In terms of like the sounds of the, yeah, the sonics. Yeah. You know, it's funny because um, over time, and maybe I guess it makes sense as a teenager, probably the music was just way angstier. And maybe there's oh, just yeah. also this music that was around me. There was noise music, punk music. There was a lot of interesting, heavy sounding music around me. Um, so I would get into that. But over time, I started to realize I didn't like the way it would make people act. So, like, the behaviors that would come out at shows or the aggression kind of snowballs into more aggression. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't really appreciate that because I would do tours and play and I would see people just not treating each other well. And so I tried to get more calm with it. I tried to come out with something like I wanted people to smile more than be angry and kick kick stuff Mm. and dance and have fun or or just see people close their eyes and and zone out to something. Because, you know, that type of stuff means a lot to me, too. So... Totally. You know. Yeah. Well, so take me back a little bit. Um, before you realize that aggression is not something that you're fucking with, those first bands, who are the people involved, and how do you meet them, and and um, what age were you, and were all were they all much older than you? Uh, yes. Everybody was always like at least like eight to nine years older than me. So you're like a 13 year old kid joining these noise bands. Pretty much. And what's that influence like for you? Are, are you watching these older guys be self-destructive? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, uh, one of the main dudes that, um, kind of showed me a lot about music was extremely toxic. Like he, he had his own sort of set of traumas and issues that he was working through. I think it's the only person I ever got into like an actual like fist fight with. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was just, he was, and, and I'm like so much younger. So I was like, what is wrong with you that you're trying to fight me? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, that's child abuse damn near. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And <laughs> I don't a, think he thought of it like yeah, that. So, no. but that was kind of happening where it kind of blurred the lines of me realizing how old I was. Right. You know what I mean? I was, I was like 
all around of these older people that would on and off treat me like my age and then treat me like I'm not my age. Mm. So it would be kind of confusing. And I, I didn't really understand my place sometimes in terms of like how I'm supposed to grow up. Mm-hmm. So it put me in some interesting situations. Because uh, there's this dynamic of them <clears throat> going like, yo, you're supposed to be acting like us, but them going like, wait, no, you're just a little kid. I'm yeah, not going to listen being, to you. Yeah, and being condescending yeah. and, and whatnot and being like, oh, man, whatever. And That's a strange duality to it was to weird. cope with as a 13-year-old. Yeah, I mean, playing in bars. Like, I'm playing in bars. You have to wait out in the back till you can uh, go on stage and most shit. Of the, At the time, most of the bars let me chill in there. No shit. There was, like, one bar I remember playing at that would make me wait outside. Otherwise, I was in there. And, you know, people buying drinks and shit and, like— it was just, it's just different. Like I got, to, you know, and I, this is back when you could smoke indoors and there were those vending machines with cigarettes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm just like buying cigarettes, like chain smoking inside and shit. I'm like 14. And yeah. sometimes I would bring friends that were my same age and we would do the same shit. And I'll be like, damn, like looking back, it's really kind of crazy. Yeah. And how do you think watching those type of things go down at that age have affected you as an adult? I'm still unraveling what that even does to me. You know what I mean? What that's like. I've always felt like I was, like I said, it's always like I'm a generation ahead. So, And then even before that, I can't even remember the word in Vietnamese, but when I was a baby, I used to walk around like with my hands behind my back. You know what I mean? Kind of just like pacing around. Mm. And they would call me, uh, which is funny because Maxo's album is Lil Big Man. They called me uh, Lil Old Man. Mm -hmm. I guess that was me. So even before that was happening, they called me that. And a lot of people tell me they get different senses of how old I am. Mm. A lot of people don't understand what, like, like. I, I've watched, I think I like, said I was thirty in this interview, but did. like, if you saw me, like, you, well, I, don't I wouldn't know. know. Yeah, it would be hard to guess. Like, I could be anywhere from like I don't know, like early twenties, maybe younger. Yeah, to like totally. I don't know, somewhere in my thirties. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I agree completely. Like ambiguous age, definitely. Right. Uh, in just watching you for the last few months, or over the span of the last few months, I've noticed that you're very. <laughs> outspoken about toxicity uh i don't know if that's a word or just an album title but uh <laughs> the system of a down the system record, of down record. Yo, i don't know if that's I a real word <laughs> but i'm saying like you're very outspoken about um you know rappers that do bad things or about scenes in general that perpetuate misogyny and the patriarchy etc yeah. etc cetera, et cetera. right and that takes a lot of uh, it's it's unfortunate that that takes a lot of balls, but that does take a lot of balls because that can very quickly burn bridges. Yeah, that's not something you think about. Uh, no, I think about it. It's yeah. it's it's a uh, especially being raised in a way where I was supposed to kind of just not cause too much of a fuss. I'm still figuring out the way to like use my voice, and it's funny. Like now I'm 30, and, you, and that record came out when I'm 30, and, and I always used to say like I probably wouldn't sing on my music because people would ask me a lot. I always said I probably won't do it till I'm 30, and it just happens that it came out when I was like that. So. That's like, weird that you like self prepare or like you you manifested that. <clears throat> Pretty much. Yeah. It's kind of funny how the things we say do that, but I was just noticing a lot of things and I started to be like, you know what? There's things that other people, you know, as a non-black person, there's things I can get away with saying that black people don't get away with saying. And as a man, there's things I can get away with saying that women never get away with saying. Mm-hmm. So, I started noticing that uh, a lot of the homies were we were kind of gathering together to talk about certain things um since the quarantine, really. Um and I started to notice more, and I already noticed certain things, but I didn't know how to express it. And then I just started putting these things together, and I'm like, you know what? Let me just try to say certain things. And when I started opening up, the response that I would get uh, would be really interesting, because um, especially from women, they'd be like, "Yo, you like nobody says this," and it's just like, "Thanks for using your voice to say that." And um, yeah, some of the things would be really interesting. So I'd be like, "Damn, like maybe it's more important than I realized mm-hmm. to be able to say this." So. 
Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of all over the place, but yeah, it does burn bridges. Uh, it does make things awkward for people. Sure. Um, so, and I'm still learning the best ways to navigate that. I'm just trying. Totally, because I think as a man living in a patriarchal society, it is a constant learning process about how we are oppressing women. Or, yeah, yeah myself as a white man, constantly learning how white people are oppressing uh, every other race and nationality in the country, et cetera, right. et cetera. And, and you bring up an interesting point. That's something that I've been thinking about so much more lately as a white man, uh, particularly as a guest in hip hop. It's like when something like this fucking like the, the <clears throat> Megan and Tory situation, right, where uh-huh. Tory Lanez shoots fucking Megan the Stallion in the fucking foot. It's yeah. like all I, I want to both feet, right? Right, both feet. I, I, all, all I want to say is like, yo, fuck Tory Lanez and and anybody that fucks with him. Like, right. I can't believe he did that. But then I have to th- take a step back and think, like, wait, does this make me look like a racist talking about a black man this way? Because that's not what it is at all. It's more like trying to just stick up for black women type shit, you know. And it's this weird dynamic where it's like I catch myself going like, well, I'm not going to speak out about that because I'm scared of how that will make me look in this sense. Even though I know my intentions, yeah. it's like I don't know how they'll be interpreted. You know what I mean? It's tricky. Yeah. Um, and people are very sensitive these days, um, which makes sense because um, there's a lot of crazy things going on. Totally. Uh, the Me Too movement, is, if you want to call it that, is is a natural response to how things have been pushed in how one direction. For so yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's like it's an extreme, and now we're hitting the other extreme. Mm-hmm. We're not really at a balance yet. Um, so we're seeing it play out in, in interesting ways. Um, yeah, with Megan, that was crazy, too. Like, she, she, she had to make a statement and say, like— Like, show her injuries to prove. Right, and yeah. she had to say, like, yo, I didn't want the police to, uh, to, to, kill to you. harm any of yeah, us, exactly. including Tori. Right. So I didn't speak up about it. And then— you know, she just, she had just gotten shot. Right. You know, so it's like she's thinking about other people before she even really thinks about herself, and it's like, damn, that's like, it makes you think about a lot of different things. So man, uh, it's, it's heavy. It's really, really crazy how these things are playing out. I hope that we can all get to a better place. I think we will. Yeah. I think I think like you know you have to kind of recognize a problem before yeah. you deal with it. So, um, so how long is it that you're in? the noise scene and the punk scene before you realize, okay, the aggression shit's not working for me. I want to shift. And what does that shift look like? So if, if we take the start of playing shows a lot, like when I'm 14, probably like three or four years before I'm like, this is a little crazy. Uh, just seeing people get belligerent and. So you're already touring as like a 14, 15 year old. I think the first tour I went on was like 16 or 17. What kind of tour is that? So, it was interesting because at the time in Philly, the mentality was, you know, MySpace is around. Yeah, of course. And people are booking tours through MySpace, just finding venues yeah. and reaching out to people. And the way that people kind of thought they could, that they could make it as a band was to just tour constantly. Const- like, like you don't stop. You go for years and years and years and then you finally get recognized for the work that you're putting in. So you're not, you're lucky if you're breaking even on these tours, um, but you just drive around. You just drive and go to random places and just play. And each time you revisit that city, a couple more people show up until you go from playing to 50 people to paying to 300 people maybe after two years. Or right. Yeah. It's, it's a mix and it, yeah. and it gets better. You learn how to, you learn how to book the shows better. Um, so I, it was, tri- it's trial and error, but it's really, it's really difficult. And then at some point I started to realize well, before I got to that point, I, I was switched around. The band I was in at the first at first broke up, and then I was still making some aggressive music that was kind of like a leftover from that. And this is all instrumental music. Um, 
And then that kind of fizzled off and I was like making beats more. I started really, I was always making like little edits as soon as long as we had a computer and making mixes, but I started getting really more into beats like when I was 16. Uh, and um, <clears throat> 16 to 18 is when I got like really heavy with it. But I was making music with, uh, with a different group, this kid I went to high school with. And uh, I think we ate mushrooms one night and we were like playing and then we kind of like had this certain sound that we liked and we just kept going with that. There were still some heavy parts of it, but it was like more beautiful sounding music. So we were touring with that group and just seeing people smile at shows and dance had a certain effect on me. And I was like, I like this better. And then, um, yeah, I started to realize touring takes so much out of you. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. It's a hard lifestyle. It is so hard. And I was like, what if we just tried to make better recordings? Because I would notice a lot of the people that would tour, you know, they're trying to engineer everything themselves and they're learning. But, you know, it would still sound a certain way. It would still sound kind of bootleg. And there's a charm to that. But I was like, what if we just made recordings better? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have the internet. People can hear your recordings and then they ask us to play a show instead of me trying to go to them all the time and convince them with these demo we're spending so much time trying to play what if we spent a lot of that time figuring out how to make better songs that can last forever you know what genre would you call that music that you started making that was more beautiful or was it genreless it was just instrumental I'm music? really bad at yeah, naming no. genres but it wasn't like rap was you weren't making rap music it wasn't rap yeah. there was, it was instrumental uh, it was kind of like psychedelic okay. uh, sort of music yeah. uh, you know it was just guitar and drums and I had a loop pedal and a lot of different uh, I had a keyboard actually. I was playing that a little bit more, and it was kind of just me putting things together and creating like soundscapes with the drummer. And uh, so you're up on stage uh, with a guitar, a loop pedal, a keyboard, doing all this stuff, probably yeah. playing the bass lines as well. And then yeah. the drummer's just kind of vibing off you. Was a lot of it in- improvisational? It was like half and half. Like we would create the songs by playing shows and improvising and, and just playing. Yeah. And we would come up with loose structures. Sometimes there were more heavier structures, but a lot of it, it, it was, it, that was another thing because the music was so calculated before, it was cool to let things flow as they went for each show. Like, you know what I mean? Just let it be how it needed to be. Um, so I like I like that part of it too. It was a lot more freedom, uh, whereas everything was so calculated before. Right. And when you guys go back to the lab and are going, let's make our recordings better, uh, were you incorporating his live drums and trying to learn how to mic and mix drums, or were you guys programming to. drums? Uh, no, I, well, uh, I was programming drums for – when I got – this was a group called McKenzie with me and the drummer. Yeah. And we uh, – I started recording us because we couldn't really program it at that point. Like, it wasn't as calculated, so things had to be more natural. Mm-hmm. So we would have to come up with the structure for the recording since everything's multi-tracked, and, we, and it's like he would have to go first. And just record all the drum parts. And we'd have it in mind. Maybe I'd have a scratch track he plays too. And then I layer everything on top. But yeah, I wasn't good at doing that. And then well, because I was gonna say the one thing when <clears throat> you were talking about how live bands you would get their record and it sounds kind of bootleg. It's the drums that are make or break. Drums are really important. Dr- if drums sound like shit, the track sounds like shit. And a lot of people <laughs> never actually learn how to record drums properly because it's so labor intensive. It's it's different uh, because the way you experience drums is like in a room. Mm-hmm. You never like it up. hits you in the chest. Like, it's, yeah, like yeah. you hear it. So like you have to kind of reconcile the way you want it to sound live to where you where it's like close mic'd and, and some people do combinations of room mics and close mics. So. That it was sounding kind of bootleg, but I was just figuring it out. Yeah. And then at a certain point, I think when I was like twenty, so Mackenzie, we stopped playing. We stopped playing shows, and I was in school. 
like halfway through college, you know? And so like maybe when I finish, I'm like 22. And then we, the same drummer, uh, he gets a farmhouse for, like he has a family friend that just has a farmhouse that just, he just lets us stay there and put whatever we want in there for free. And we just have a place we can make a ton of noise. For so free? I, yeah. So we had this for a few years at least. What an opportunity. It was amazing. Yeah. So, um... We just were playing more, and then at some point, we started to be like, let's try to record again, and so I just start from scratch again, and then I, we're using, like, one mic to record the drums, and I'm figuring out how to make it sound how I need to sound with one mic, and then I get another mic, now we're using two mics, and it's just kind of building yeah. steps as we go, and we're getting cool sounds from it, So, I, and, this, and then at this point, I'm kind of integrating it with, like, beats that I'm making, and it's just different stuff. We're just experimenting with all different types of things. That's dope. So uh, that's the, my first record, Scotch, was recorded in that farmhouse. Oh, wow. So you brought up um, an interesting word there momentarily. You said I was in school because oh, yeah. this whole time I thought I'm thinking like, hmm, is he getting at the fact that maybe he dropped out of high school or something? Because it sounds like you're touring and you're playing in bands, but you never brought up like, yeah, I was balancing high school with this. Yeah, it was weird because I, I tried to I was playing shows and I was in school okay. and my parents felt however they felt about it. And I tried it, it was years of trying to convince them to let me just keep doing this. They were not convinced. You know what I mean? So you did go to high school. You, I finished you were going high school. To okay. I finished. I got a bachelor's degree. They I didn't want by the time I finished high school, I was playing so many shows. I was like, fuck college like yeah. i'm trying to tour with this band were you involved in high school at all or did high school just seem like something you had to kind of get through in order to play more music it felt like kind of both but i did play music in school okay i played uh i played in the orchestra i played upright bass and i played in the jazz band yeah. so i was so pretty much from high school through college i was playing upright bass and electric bass and you know classical music jazz music and uh it was great practice i was doing that and so by the time i finished high school i really didn't want to go to college but the way my mom planned everything out like my dad is interesting because i and i inherited from this me and my brother both inherited this from him like we just don't give a fuck about money like we, we don't prioritize it like that like it's not that important to us and it, i don't know we just look at it a certain way uh that's kind of unique my mom being a refugee from vietnam she and her whole family is they all uh like money means safety yeah. you know what i mean so she's so concerned about it she thinks super long term she saves up she's super like she's really good at saving money yeah. so the way my mom kind of did it was she managed all the money my dad was making and she budgeted just i don't know how she would do this, this. is very similar to my family dynamic just Word. FYI. yeah my mom's the same way my dad didn't give a shit yeah 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 so my mom was going really hard trying to budget things she would Every little last cent was, like, accounted for. You know what I mean? So she was able to save up enough bread for us to, me, my sister, and my brother, to have at least enough for tuition to go for four years of school. Wow. Um, to, you know, at, a re at reasonable schools. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and, uh, yeah, my brother ended up having to go for more than four years, and so he had to take out loans and shit. But she budgeted just enough for that. So she's like, nah, you, you're going to school. You're doing this. Like, you have to go. And I was like, okay, well, if I do this, I want to study music. And that was... That took like two years for me and my brother to convince them to let me do that. Um, they wanted me to do some something else that was a little bit more, I guess, stable. But at this point, it's like, you know, what's even stable? Like, right. There is no stability. Yeah, it's kind of weird. So how did you do in high school? <clears throat> you seem smart as shit. Word. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you seem smart. There's no way, two ways around that. So word. did you do good in school or was it I just too boring good. for you? It was very boring. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of things that I didn't really agree with in school, but I did... 
I tried to do the best I could, but it tapered off. Like the first yeah. year I was working pretty hard and then it was less. I'm and then sure less. you're someone who was like, you would get an assignment and go, why do I need to do what? Yeah. How does this help me? Like, right. right Depending on what it is. Yeah. There's certain things I was excited about. Yeah. Like I really fucked with literature. Yeah. And when I had a cool teacher, I was like, yo, this is dope. We get you, to read these cool I was going to say, you probably loved uh, English and history were probably your shit. And yo, then, and, yeah. history really fucked me up. Yeah. I did not like history class. Yeah. Something always seemed weird. And it turns out as I learned it's more, because we're learning it was lot, a lot of lies yeah, were in everything. there. Everything. They start history at a certain point and it completely ignore everything that came before it. Okay. And then they give you the Disney version of history yeah. in school. And it always felt weird. So, and before I even knew why it felt right. weird. Right. So I didn't like history that much. Um, I learned more about it these days just out of my own curiosity. Like what, what happened then? And right. I go and look it up and I get more information from Wikipedia than I did from school, yep. you know? So it's weird. So you did okay in high school <clears throat> and that gets okay. you into college and you study music in college. What is it like to really concentrate your education on music? Bro, it was, it's, it's, there's nothing else like it. It's really, really interesting. It's like a training ground. Uh, it's like boot camp for music. So I was like, okay, maybe I should learn about engineering and studios. I was like, because if I'm going to do music, I should learn how to record myself. It's really hard to find a program that focuses on that and on performance equally. Yeah. So we found a school in the middle of Pennsylvania. I went to, I, I applied at a bunch of different places. And like, um, there's a school in the middle of Pennsylvania called Lebanon Valley. And it was like started as Yo, a Yo, shout out concert. to Lebanon Baloney, baby. Bro. That's my favorite shit growing <laughs> up, dog. Yeah. Right. Lebanon, yeah. It's in. It's right next to a place called Lebanon yeah. in a fucking, it's a weird spot. You, you know Pennsylvania's yeah. strange. Yeah. Outside of Pittsburgh and Philly, it's, it's very strange. Sticks. Yeah. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. There's people, you, you sometimes catch people with their trucks with Confederate flags on yeah, them and yeah. shit. And mm-hmm. so there's people that like harass you and whatever. Um, and it's just like boring. But- uh, it was a solid music program. Even if you studied business, you had to play an instrument. Mm. And if you did engineering, you had to play an instrument. So you had kids that were really good at studio stuff, but not good at playing an instrument, and but they still had to participate. And kids like me, who was who were like came from performance, but not great at studio stuff, but we just had to figure it out. Yeah. yeah so you just it, so it was cool. So I learned a lot. Were you um, still concentrating on bass while you were there? Is that your instrument? You had to pick an instrument. So yeah, I did bass. You did bass. That was probably the easiest one for me to do. Right. I was like, I was the most comfortable with this. I can get around on this. So let's just run with that. Okay. And so you're learning how to engineer yourself on bass or, or learning how to engineer everything kind of yeah i was so bad at the studio stuff in school uh i le- like they would explain concepts to me and i'd be so lost what kind of dar are they teaching you <clears> mostly like, pro tools yeah pro tools yeah. mostly pro tools but they would show us analog uh setups too oh sick yeah, yeah so uh i was i was just trying to keep up and it took me years after school to be able to apply that back into what i was doing i was making beats by myself and just using Ableton in my room all the time and trying to figure out how to use that. So it was, it's it's really interesting because I was just trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But I was trash at it. Uh, right, right. <laughs> but it struck a nerve with you enough to want to like delve farther into it on your own time though. There's something about learning learning about the ru- the rules in terms of like, you know, quote unquote, the rules like in terms of what traditionally people do so that when you do want to do something different, you, it's informed right. in, a, in a certain way. I think every um, really great artist, they know that in order to break the rules, you got to know the rules. Right. right. And, it, and, and, and that's an interesting concept yeah. that there's even rules to right. begin with. But just to see, at, the, at least in recording, yeah. just to see what other engineers have done. 
And, you know, Picasso could paint photorealism before he came up with cubism. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure that Young Thug could probably perfectly rap a Big Daddy Kane verse if if he needed to. You know what I'm saying? But but he can go through and break that shit Uh and be a jazz uh, instrumentalist with his voice. The craziest styles. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So... You graduate when you're about 22, you say? Yeah. Huh? And so um, what does life look like after graduation? It's that farmhouse, right? That's we're back to the farmhouse? No, it was a, a maybe a year or two after that. Yeah. I had no idea what the fuck I was going to do, man. Yeah. Did you have to have jobs and everything? Like, Bro, I was like, okay, what can I do? I guess I can teach. Um, nobody has ever hired me for anything that I applied for. And even when I try to get apartments or whatever, nobody ever fucks with me. Um I always have to get a reference. Everything I've ever gotten ever is from a reference from someone. Mm-hmm. So there was a music school. There was a music camp, summer music camp. I was like, I, I guess I got to teach. No one would hire me. So I was like, there's a summer music camp. I just graduated, so it's the summer. And I went there when I was younger, and the dude that ran it is an old friend of my my father's. So I was like, okay, um, maybe I can work there. So I asked him. He's like, cool. It's like, it doesn't pay much. It's not like it's it's only for like – certain amount of time sometimes they don't even need you so it's like whatever let's try it i ended up getting two other teaching gigs because two other teachers there were like oh you're good at this like let me you can work here where i work and then this other dude was leaving a school and he's like i need someone to take over you want to take this so i ended up working at a private school and then another school that goes to people's houses oh wow so i started teaching a lot all bass yeah no like any any rhythm section instrument um teaching kids how to write songs teaching kids how to play guitar it was mostly I maybe only had a few bass students uh, teaching kids drums, piano, um, and I wasn't really that great at piano at the time, but I was just like, I just kind of faked my way through it. Are you great at piano now? I don't consider myself great, but I can, I, I use it to compose. Yeah. And so that's really the, my main goal with it, but I get more comfortable as time goes on, but it's not. That's not your first choice. Yeah. yeah. I get a little bit nervous sometimes with it. Are you as good at any other instrument as you are at the bass at this point? At this point, things have leveled out. Yeah. Where it's like I don't practice as much as I used to because okay. things are used – it's like an as-needed basis. And, and, and the main priority is creating songs. Mm. So it's like if I need this – if there's a hard part to play in a song, I'll just figure out how to play it and then I do it. And then that's it. Like I'll just I'll, – it's like, you know what I mean? I'm not yeah. sitting – it's really hard for me to keep up on practice for all these instruments anyway. Yeah, so and then there's other things outside of music I'd be trying to like focus on. So it's like – I'm just so curious about being a multi-instrumentalist because I'm a shit instrumentalist at anything. So it's like, do you go through these phases where you're like uh, really into one instrument more than others? Are you like, Mm -hmm. oh man, all I feel like doing is playing drums this week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I play a lot. Probably piano is the one I get back to the most. Piano and then I'm getting back into guitar. They have different pockets for me that feel like home. You know what I mean? So uh, if I could play drums at my crib, I would do that, but I have to go to my studio to do that now. So... um, the teaching gigs, how long did they tide you over after school? Were you doing that a few years? I quit when I moved to L.A. Yeah. Uh, which what age are you when you moved to L.A.? I got that's to L.A. the end of 2014, so I'm 24. And that's after you've been in the farmhouse for like a year or something? Yeah, like two, two years. years or something okay. like that. And that's with Mackenzie? You're doing Mackenzie? Uh, well, that, no? that band had already oh, dissolved, yeah, so we were just making tunes. Okay. And, uh, and then I started putting them out as Suarvi. Uh, the first thing I put out as Suarvi was when I was 21. Yeah. So it's been almost a decade. Yeah, how do you come up with Swarvi? Swarvi uh, is kind of a play off my last name. Uh, and it also, I guess, is a word that they use not so much in the States, but they use it, it looks like in the UK and just in other places where they kind of means like, um, 
I guess it means just like looking suave, like smooth. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Cause yeah. I, I, you know, it's not totally clear sometimes, but right. there's like there'll be like people will just post like a selfie where they're like dressed all nice and they'll be like, "Yo, looking suave today." And yeah, like right. That. So I was like, "Okay, let me run with this." It was a play off my last name though, and then um, that uh, the the drummer from Mackenzie kind of just gave me. When you start conceptualizing uh, as Swarvy, it's more, it's like chilled out instrumental stuff still, yeah? Yeah, I was just trying to figure out soundscapes. At the time, I was super influenced by, you know, the beat scene was really interesting in like 07 and 08. There we go. Uh, you got to your influences without me having to say, yeah, hey yeah. man, what are your influences? <laughs> yeah. That was a, such an interesting time. That's where I come from. I moved to LA in 07, and okay. every Wednesday I was at Low End Theory. Right, and exactly, I'm, Low End. Yeah, I'm uh -huh. not a beat maker, but like that's where I was at. And so mm -hmm. I got to see that transformation of like Flying Lotus be Steve that walked into the airliner to like the seas parted like Moses just walked in the door by the time it was ending and right. he would come, you know? Um, so you, you're getting to hear that all the way across the country. Yeah, I had heard Dilla growing up without realizing it was him. Of course. Uh, and all my favorite tracks that I had heard from like Far Side or The Roots or um, Tribe, Tribe or Janet Jackson, whatever. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah. You, you come to find out later that that's who that was. Those are like those. Were, I just knew I fucked with those tracks. Right. I didn't look into the production credits as much. I didn't even really want understand what a producer was when I was younger. Right. You know, uh, it didn't make that much sense to me. So, uh, yeah, I was just like, whoa, that was him. And then. You know, when Donuts came out, obviously it got more noise because he he passed yeah, right around the same time. Such an important record. Yeah, and um, so I was digging into that. You know, I found out about Madlib, and Los Angeles dropped, and I was like, "What is this? What is this music?" And then I would find out about everybody else associated. So, at the time, I had this idea of just like, "Whoa, you can make music sound like whatever you want." It can be extremely expansive, and I hold on to that still. Like, or I'm just like, whoa, you can create worlds. And, um, you know, people have their styles and they stick with it. But at the time, I thought I had this assumption that everybody was going to make different records all the time. Like, the next record was going to be completely different, and the record after that's going to be completely different. I, I like stuff like that. Right. So, um, but, you know, people get into their pockets, which is cool, too. It's cool having, like, a signature sound. I mean, that was the whole thing is, like, I, <clears throat> I was a very utilitarian rapper. I was only good at one thing. So Word. all my records kind of sound the same because, like, that's the thing that I can do. You know mm, what I mean? Mm, mm. Whereas, like, yeah, I would love to be one of those musicians. Well, like, uh, that's something I really respect about you is that Word. you can get into so many different bags. Hey, thanks, you can man. do so many different things. You can have so achieve so many different sounds, you know? Yeah. That's... Uh, and so you assumed that everyone could do that? I just kind of, yeah, it was like you an assumption. You didn't realize you have a superpower? Uh, <laughs> it didn't. It wasn't apparent to me till I moved yeah. here. And I was like, oh, like, I do different things. I didn't even really put together that I was like, oh, like, I can play these instruments and do this. And, like, a lot of people couldn't do that. A lot, I would of, go a lot of your favorites probably can't do that. Yeah. You know? And so that was, that took me some time to realize that that was, some people had to tell me. Mm -hmm. You know, I would be in studio sessions and I was, I was, I can do every one of the jobs that there's maybe five or six people to do. Right. And I would be like, hmm, like this is different. Like I thought, I, I just didn't understand. I thought everybody was trying to do everything. You know what I mean? So let me ask you this. Does that lead to you <clears throat> undervaluing yourself at first? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot of time to understand what you have to offer mm -hmm. and uh, like what you even do. And especially like when I go so hard and then I get depleted and I'm not like, I feel like the return on what I did wasn't as as much as what I put in. Mm. Then I'll be like, damn, like, 
what am I really doing out here? Like, who, what, what, what am I supposed, how do I protect myself and how do I go into it knowing what I can offer and make that clear? It's, it's not easy, like, to make that clear because people don't really know what I'm doing either. They don't mm-hmm. know me either. Mm-hmm. So they'll be like, hey, can you come in to do this? And it turns out I end up doing, like, five different jobs mm-hmm. and then... You know, I might be paid for one. Yeah, exactly, because you've already agreed <clears throat> to get paid for one. It's like the rest feels like, oh, hey, man, you're the homie. Come on, come on. Because and, I care, too. And you're not the type of person that's going to be like, well, yeah, but that's going to be another $500. Like, yeah. You know. And I don't work on things I don't care about. That was another thing. Like, when I when I moved, when I first started making beats, I was like, okay, I guess, I guess the game is to sell beats. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then I was just like, I don't like this because what is this song that just came out? I had nothing to do with it. So... When I moved here, I was like, I'm never going to work on a record that I don't personally like. And now it's, it keeps transforming and, and building into more. There's more behind it than just I like it. There's more that's like, who are the people that I'm building with? What is the message that they're putting in their music? What are we going to do with it after we achieve this part? You know what I mean? So I, I really, that, that idea of, uh, I don't know, it becomes personal. And, it, and that sometimes gets tricky. So I'm still trying to figure out how to navigate these things the best I can because I only work on things that I care about. Yeah, with people I care about. You're you're like a deeply emotional guy. Like things mm-hmm. really mean a lot to you. They do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's a good thing for music. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. Who picks up on how many things you can do first? Is there one rapper that kind of goes, "Whoa, you're like sleeping on yourself," or like one other musician that goes, "Wow, you you can do everything." I think my girlfriend at the time was pointed that out to me, and maybe was one of the first people I heard that say that, where she was just like, "Yo, like." You're doing a lot, you know. And then uh, verses yeah. would be like he, because he was he's super respectful. Um, I love that dude. So like he he would he would try to be like yo, just because I would be hard on myself about certain things or be like this is coming out like this, and he's like yo, remember you're kind of doing like a lot right now. Like it's natural to be feel like that. So he would point that out. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I think now the way I look at it is like. I need to figure out how to communicate this with people when I go into when I do agree to do work, and uh, also like uh, I want to share it. I want I want so edu- it it comes back to education a lot. I got kind of tired of teaching. Like I'll lose my voice teaching. You know what I mean? Like talking all day, and I do uh, free lessons for for women and just like any femme identifying person now. So like I uh, I try to. I look at these things as like wealth that I can redistribute back to people that need it, you know. Wow. Uh, some people don't really get the opportunity. You know, education is already weird because it's so expensive mm-hmm. and there's so many things in the way, even if you can afford it. Like if I want – if like uh, I was teaching this woman who uh, – she's young. She's maybe, I don't know, 18 or 19 and she's in school. She said she tried to apply for a music minor and she can play and they denied her. Yeah. You know what I mean? So she's already at the school – she wants to learn more. And, like, how are you supposed to learn? How you, There's this expectation that you're supposed to know a certain amount before you even get to them. Yeah. It's like you're supposed to know how to play, but, like, well, I'm coming to you so I can learn how to play. So how does this work? And, I mean, I'm, like, uh, really on the outskirts of that world of musicianship. But even I notice, like, when a band has one woman player, uh-huh. it's – that's the gimmick, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Right. Like, People make like, it like it's so rare. So like, yeah, mu- music education in general must be so heavily patriarchal because yeah, it I, is. Because every woman, and racist. yeah, oh, oh sure, yeah. Every woman that I know that has gone to music school, they go for singing. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's what it is. Uh-huh. Um, it's blocked by money, color, and your gender. Yeah. So it's like you, the same systems that rule everything else block you from education. Yeah. So I'll be like, man, like, I, like one day I would love to have a school where I can have a really affordable education for people and talk about all different types of things and or or, or just free. You know what I mean? So I wanted to figure out ways to 
do that. So, like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I want really I want people to learn that. I, I really love that, and I think that um, our politics probably align pretty well on that sort of Word. stuff. So, I'm curious, outside of music, what is it that made you realize these things about life? What did you read? Uh, did you have mentors that kind of were, were breaking down socioeconomic and racism uh. in America to you? I think just observing it yeah. around me, like, because I didn't really have a mentor that talked to me about that. Yeah. I, it's, and, and a lot of this is kind of is somewhat new, mm-hmm. like like this year really seeing, OK, damn, like I knew it was bad. I knew like like I already knew you can't trust cops. Mm-hmm. I already knew you couldn't trust court systems. Uh, even for myself, they treat me a certain way. For, and and I can imagine it's even worse for people that look other ways or are, you know, like, and you just, I don't know, you just run an inventory back in your mind and be like, damn, this is fucked up. Like, because a lot of people don't put words to this. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, you don't, no one says this is your privilege as a man. This is your privilege as a, as a non-black person. They just, you just see it play out in the world and you just... Well, you, you know ha- I mean? a lot of people don't see it play out, in the, or they don't notice it, or they're not self-aware <clears throat> enough to realize <clears throat> it, or it hurts their feelings so much to learn that that they that they are in denial about it. Like, what are you talking about? I'm just as poor as everybody else. But and even when they do, like, it's like you, they know, yeah. they know, like they even know, yeah, like they might be like, no, they treat everybody the same. Or I, I hear this one thing. You have to lie like, to yourself a little bit. You hear this thing. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Interrupt oh no, you. you're good. Like yeah. you hear people say, like, I treat everybody equally. I treat everybody the same. And then, okay, I understand that, but also. So a lot of people deserve a lot more sensitivity than others because mm. they go through a lot more. You know what I mean? Just by default, you should and, – and you should be sensitive to everybody. But that whole I treat everybody the same, men and women are the same, all colors are the same. It's like like I don't know if that's really the best way to do it. Um, yeah. It's like uh, people that talk about egalitarianism. The only people you hear mention that is like white dudes with really good jobs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it's like if it was truly egalitarian, wouldn't there be some black women up there with you or maybe some, right. you know, various Latinx people up there with you? Like, And that term, what is it? Can you break down the definition of that term? Egalitarian again? is that um, everyone should be able to get anything they want on their merit you know what i mean so like right. if you have a good job you have earned it because you work hard it's right which like, is the part of the lie of the american dream exactly, and capitalism basically exactly which was created by a propagandist yeah yeah exactly you know? so so people will, <laughs> will say these like inherently racist things but go well i just believe in egalitarianism everyone should work hard and they'll get where they want to get and it's like nah this is not a country that you can actually build a fortune on bootstraps that's the the carrot nah. that they dangle in front of you, us you yeah. go oh, like maybe if i work harder next year then i can yeah. make that million or no. that billion you know yeah. what i'm saying it's like i uh, heard so, oh man, I heard Not something really. the other day that hit me like a fucking shotgun show where it was like, uh, <clears throat> everyone in your life is closer to poverty than they are to being a billionaire, and it will always be that way. Yeah, yeah, I heard but that too. We have this fucking belief that, like, man, we just got to work hard and we'll do it. Because it's kind of, I guess it's a little. You get feel hopeless, I guess, the other way around. Totally. Yeah. What's the point of living if we're just living to not to like just barely not be homeless, uh-huh. you know, or whatever? Yeah, there's a lot of emphasis on money, mm. which is really, I think part of the part of the lie is thinking that money's more important or more powerful than other things that we have. Right. There's different forms of wealth that we have that are invaluable, and if they weren't invaluable, then you wouldn't get contracts trying to buy the, buy it from you for this much money. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like our ideas are invaluable. Our care for each other is invaluable. So. I like to think of it like that. And there's there's ways you can move things without using money. Money is just like a symbol of something and, and it's not it's not everything. So it's kind of a lie. Kinda of like how they make us feel like voting is the only time we'll get our voice heard. Yeah. It's like we have other ways to use our voice than just that. Well tell me what you think about legacy then. Is legacy an important concept to you if if money is not? 
Uh, yeah, just like what you leave behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the energy that we leave behind is is important. Like when when our body's gone, the energy's still there. You know what I mean? It still has a, sometimes a bigger impact. I call people that uh, transition. I call them master teachers. Once by the like, I feel like everybody's a student and a teacher. Because you got a master teacher on your shirt right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Um, there's this kind of a uh, um, hierarchy that we put like teacher versus student. You know what I mean? Teachers higher than a student, but we're all teachers and students. Teachers learn things from their students all the time. You know what I mean? And likewise, we, we, we can all teach things and we can all learn things forever. The only time we're done is when we pass. You know what I mean? And that's why I call people that pass a master teacher. Mm. It's like, because then that's it. You're done with your lessons. The lessons that you have, that's your legacy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And we got to learn from, uh, you know, failures and, and successes, mistakes, and, you know, all that's everything, the mm. whole picture. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, totally. And, and that's... <clears throat> When you speak about teaching uh, any anyone femme identifying for free, mm-hmm. I think about the legacy that you'll leave. It's like, oh, you're going to have this whole tree of, of music that comes from the, the Swarvy school of thought, you know, right. and that's beautiful. Yeah, I try to, like, put certain things in there, like, warn people, help people, like, see what they can look out for, how they can protect themselves, how they can, you know, the more you can... I guess arm yourself with with certain information. Yeah. Uh, the more you can protect yourself, and, and the more you can achieve without having to ask for help. Yeah, wow. You know, so like that's that's important to me because a lot of women, I can't tell you how many like we we have this idea of certain women, like will be like, oh, they're OGs, they're legends, like, and we think of them like that. But you don't have you have no idea how many times their albums got shelved, and or how many times they need something from or or like you know producers like. T- keep the tracks from them or engineers are just like nah and they don't want to teach them you know what i mean it's just like yo like they deserve to learn everybody deserves to have access to the same information so like it's that gets weaponized i think all the time absolutely you know when you get to la and you're working with verses um how long is it until you feel sort of fully enveloped into a scene or do you feel that way at all uh i was invited here by alima and ringo i don't know if you know them um mind design okay yeah, yeah yeah and um and uh, Alima, she DJs, and, and she was involved with Akashic Records, and she does all types of okay. – she's just around. She, like, housed, like, a lot of musicians. So uh, they had an opening in their spot. They were living together, and so they invited me into this room. I know about this house. I've heard of this house. This is, like, they a They had big... a couple boiler rooms there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, okay. So that's where you got invited to live, to move out here. Right. Wow. So they did a lot to introduce me to everybody that they could. Uh, Ringo and Alima both were always like, – because people would come through that house all the time. Uh, a lot of people would sleep there, you know, it's like, like they were just housing people and helping people like me just transition into things and try to do the, you know, they were just trying to share their resources, you know. So, uh, yeah, they, they helped me out a lot. They helped me I pretty much from the beginning feel like I was welcome, you know. So that that was really important. That was a big step. Do you like that feeling of communal living or are you someone who prefers to live by yourself? It It gets tricky. I like I want I never really got to live by myself for a while, but I do like it. I like being alone. Like, there's something to be said about having another person to bounce things off of because, I don't know, you can get, I guess you can go kind of crazy just by yourself for a long time. Totally. <laughs> and that so, energy transfer is very important in creativity, mm-hmm. you know? Creativity and also just health, like yeah. your mental and emotional health. Absolutely. You know, being able to talk things out with somebody mm-hmm. that's right there in person rather than having to go on the phone or, you know, have something in between. Mm-hmm. 
I, I would love for you to kind of like brag about your resume for a little bit and just talk <laughs> about once you got to LA and start meeting everybody, what are some of the projects you start working on that are really important to you? Who are some of the artists that mean a lot to you? Because I associate you with a uh, certain sect of artists mm -hmm. and some of the earliest videos that I find online, they're like lingering in the background with you and stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so just tell me about some of the stuff you've worked on. Uh, let's see. <laughs> It's probably hard. It's kind of hard. And honestly, the ones I'm thinking about are the ones I'm working on now. Oh, yeah. That are, like, kind of crazy. Um, it was cool having people trust me as an engineer as I was learning. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm just in the past year becoming more competent with it. So it's cool that people trusted my ear anyway. And, it, it, you know, it makes you wonder, like, it's not so much about the technicalities of it, but just about the care that you put into these things. And you can pick up the technicality whenever you want. But, um versus a zp was pretty crazy uh that came out really good uh that was one of the first things i worked on outside of you know ringo's music uh for mind design i did some engineering for akashic um the versus project are you making beats for that too i didn't at the time okay. he just came to me zero was helping him with a lot of it but yeah. he made all the beats for that record actually versus oh wow okay he made everything that was like the first time he did that so he was just like it was a it's a very personal record yeah. for him and so it meant a lot that he came to me with it so you was, you mixed and mastered or i just i sort of mixed but it was mostly just mastering okay yeah yeah like yeah, yeah. i kind of went in and, and went fucked with stems for one of them okay let's see working with pink sifu was amazing um getting to know him yeah, he was just around. At first, I was just like, you know, who's this dude that's sleeping on Alima's couch all the time and stuff like that? Or I just see him just around. And uh, he, he was around so much, I was like, you know what? Let's just, what's, what's good? Like, come come over, you know? And I played him some tunes, and we recorded, and we did our whole record really quickly. Like, he's 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 a genius in his own mind. You yeah, know what I mean? yeah. Um, he's, he's really fucking fast. That's really who I was thinking of when I said people lingering in the background. <clears throat> I, I watched your Rhythm Roulette video. Oh, yeah, And yeah. there's Pink Sifu just getting mm -hmm. on the beat right afterwards. Right, right. I invited him here. I was like, yo, because I know how he writes. Yeah. So he can write Instant. something immediately. He's he does seem like a genius, and he also um, seems like a real spoon that stirs the pot, like yeah. somebody that connects people. He does like to connect people. Yeah. He really does. He's he's introduced me to a ton of people, so I got a lot of respect for him. Uh, Logi, uh, I met them around the same time, uh, so they were right next to each other when they told me to work with each other. They were just like yeah. Liv was, you know, Sifu was just like, yo, you got to work with him, yeah. and. I ended up working with both of them around the same time. I'll tell you, Loji speaks <clears throat> very, very highly of you. He's one what? of the first person to, he's the first person to really come in here and tell me like, yo, he's like, oh, you don't know Swarvi? Swarvi's the truth. You need, uh, to, you need to look into Swarvi. So, you yeah, know, you got always, a good friend in Loji. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they rep me really hard. Yeah. Um, so it's been cool just supporting each other. The way that Do Rent record came out was, yeah. you know, I don't know if he told you the he story. Did the, uh, I don't know the story, but I know you just put out the blend tape of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. We yeah. just did the blend tape, but the original story of that record was just like he was kind of going through his own struggles and he needed help with rent. Yeah. And I was like, okay, let me write you a check. Let's do a tape together and yeah. we'll make it back. Oh, wow. And so that's how we started and that, that, that was it. He didn't tell me that story. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, so that's that's how that record came about and it was literally, and so he ended up writing it all about, I guess, did, like capitalism. You did it out here? <laughs> Yeah, we did that out here. Yeah, wow. Mm -hmm. And so what's it like remixing something that you worked so hard on? I don't know why I did that. I was just having fun. I was going through all a lot of Zero's records at yeah. the time. Um, 
because we were living together. Okay. And uh, but he had he wasn't there. I think he moved out, but all of his he left all his records for a while before he picked them up. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, before he takes these back, let me go through every single one. And I went through all of them. And I th- I don't know why I wanted to flip it, but I just did. Um, and I just I collected all the acapellas and I just went off for like two weeks and finished the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but that that's cool. It like shows a different side of it. It's, it I saw yeah, someone cool. mention that it's kind of like an East Coast West Coast sounding sort of thing, mm-hmm. and it, it kind of shows a different side. There's like more sunshine in the in the blends Blinds. than there are the other ones like real grimy sounding. And a lot of those beats I had made on the East Coast before I moved here. Oh wow! So like it was it's interesting seeing the sounds. Um, you work with Zero a lot then? Uh, we or just lived with him? Not a, not as much. Like yeah, we we end up just always being around. We uh. Our first, he just mentioned our first, he called it an alley-oop where he, I mixed the record and then he mastered it. Yeah. He started getting really into engineering. Yeah. He's like, a, he's mastering everybody's shit now. He's huh? going in and he's, yeah. he's mixing too. So yeah. he's, he's going in. So uh, the, the Fly Anakin Pink Seafood record, I mixed that and oh. then uh, he mastered it. So when does that drop again in September? I don't or? know when, is but g- they just dropped one single recently. I, I know I heard the single. It sounds great. That's going to, yeah. that's going to be good. You it's, already heard it's it. It's solid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. really solid. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of. They did a lot. There's a lot in there. That's tight. Uh, so, yeah, stuff like that. Like, we only really did... We really only completed one song. Okay, you yeah. You know what I mean? That's on Anti-Anxiety that I did with Zero. Yeah. Uh, but we have other things, and... Uh, yeah, it's just like a close friend. Just on a personal note, I, I like Zero is like one of my favorite rap. I just think he's, he's like amazing. scary genius. He is. He's a, a genius. A, too. Anytime I hear him rap, I go, "Why is anybody else even trying to to rap? Like, listen to this guy, Jesus Christ." I love that guy, man. Yeah, he's, he's, he's insane. And as a so person, good. he's just like, yeah. you know, it's it's great to it, you know, it's a blessing to be able to know him. The way his mind works, it's, it's cool to be able to connect with these different people that are geniuses in their own ways. Yeah, and we can just respect each other that way, and and you know, and, mm-hmm. and build like so. That's great. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so tell me about the process of, of, um, Sunny Days Blue. Is mm-hmm. that what, that's mm-hmm. what it's called? Yeah? yeah. Okay. I'm so terrible with remembering titles. Sunny okay. Days Blue. How long did you work on it? Uh, I wrote it down, but I, I'm struggling to remember right now. I think I might've wrote the first song at the beginning of 2019. I worked on it in spurts and I knew I wanted to do something where it was, I, the, the, uh, the idea I had was like, I wanted to do something that was all me. I didn't want to get no features. Uh, even though I still have uh, verses helping me and his voice is on there like on small parts on two songs. But um, I wanted to do something that was mostly, if not all me. And so I was writing a lot of songs and I was trying to learn how to get my voice to work in songs. And it's, it was it's a very difficult process. I, I wrote a lot of songs uh, to get to this point where I picked these ones. I, I, I wrote the songs in a quick burst and then had a couple other ones that I put together at different times yeah. similar vibe and I ended up being like oh this kind of work and I put it together and then I had another burst where I like came back to it and was like let me see if I can mix them and put them together okay. and then another burst of energy on it where I added where I was just trying to complete it and that's, that's when I, was, I added those piano interludes and I did that. That's what I was kind of wondering is <clears throat> if you put aside like a certain amount of time for it, like, okay, I'm going to do this whole record in two weeks. Or if it was something that you just had on the back burner for a while and could only come to it when you had some free moments. It was kind of, it was kind of like that. Yeah. Where I was brewing, it was brewing for a while. I would like to, for my next record, have more concentrated time and clear out more space. But this one was, it was also a lot of uncertainty. And this has been a really interesting, uh, maybe if that that might be if anything one of the more common themes of the record is like uncertainty and it's been a very interesting journey of le- I'm still learning about it even after it's out now just by learning how to play the songs the songs take on different meanings hearing different ways to play them different versions like I have 
yeah, I'll, I can probably show you. We might even get into one of them later. It's just like very different style version of one of the songs, and just mm-hmm. taking these songs and as as the elements that they are, and making something new. Mm-hmm. But then also just learning how to be comfortable with my voice. Mm-hmm. It's been, and I guess that you know, in another way, not just literally, just like trying to sing, but also just being comfortable expressing myself. Mm-hmm. So that's maybe another theme of the record. Uh, and 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 it's been a lesson, just like learning so much since then so much uncertainty even after i finished it i was just like is this you know like are people going to be mad because it's not beats and all the second guessing every uh, all of it all the doubt and just so it's been really beautiful seeing a lot of the old fans appreciate it for what it is and then new people popping up and being like this is beautiful And, and that's pretty much the response that i've seen from a lot of people that listen is that it's beautiful. It is. It is beautiful. And here, here's the thing is like a lot of what I do in, in inviting people to come onto the show is like the heart and soul of kind of me it w- was rap. It's a, it's a rap show. I grew mm. up loving mm-hmm. rap. I was a rapper. I love putting on other rappers. But when I have uh, an, or when I invite people onto the show um, who are making genres outside of rap, you know, and, yeah. I, and they're never quantifiable genres. They're right. genre bending what, or what have you. Mm-hmm. I always look at it as like, this is something that rappers would sample. This is something that a producer yeah. would sample. And yeah. when I listen to your record, I go, if I didn't know this was somebody who does make rap beats, this was something I would send to my producer and go, hey, you should sample this dude. This right. shit is tight. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, as I was putting it together, I remember like, you know, because when you're mixing, you kind of click on the same section and you just scoot, like, uh, like you kind of like scrub around mm-hmm. the, the tune. I was like, oh, that sounds kind of crazy. I could chop this up, but like, I'll, you know, someone else can do that. Right, exactly. It's interesting. Mind Design's next record is, is very much like that, where it's like, sounds like, Sounds like the records that we sample. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like library records. It sounds like all different types and, of things. And that's the kind of shit that appeals to people like me. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm not listening to to rap tapes or whatever, I'm listening to shit that, you know, that just has that soul to it, mm-hmm. you know? It's very expansive mm-hmm. sounds and, 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 and worlds that people create. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember hearing uh, D'Angelo talk about that, where he was saying... For years, he was trying to make beats, and then after a while, because you're listening to these records so much, mm-hmm. you just listen to the whole record, and then mm-hmm. you start to be like, yo, this record's amazing, and you start mm-hmm. making music like the record. You start making rock tunes. You start making soul tunes, or, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not always about just trying to find something to loop up, right. even though that's a beautiful thing in its own way. It is, yeah. And that's the thing is, like, <clears throat> I, I uh, play around making beats in my free time. I'm not a producer whatsoever, but... As I'm digging, it started off with me going like, okay, I'm only looking for the loops. And then mm-hmm. I would just save that loop. And to, to now, it's like whenever I find a song that has a loop, I'm like, oh, throw that into a Spotify playlist. Listen to that while you're driving. It's fucking, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah you, it's, it's an interesting thing. And I remember for years after I moved here, I was like, do I even want to sample these things? These songs are amazing. Right. I'm like, am I making it worse? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is it Some, worth me doing this? Sometimes you find those loops where it's like, you are making it worse, no <laughs> matter what you do to it. Even if you throw an EQ on it, you're like, it doesn't sound as good as it did when I first heard it. Like, right, right. Sometimes yeah. it's like that, but yeah. I still I still make loops all the time. Just yeah. It's just something that I have to do. Because I'll just hear a beautiful song and be like, but I still want to hear that section totally. like as many times right now just for myself. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, absolutely. I also uh, love what you said. I don't know what it was in reference to, but I love what you said about negative reviews because that's something that I'm like very passionate oh about. Oh my God. It's like, bro. don't, if somebody fucking made a record and they're not on a major label and you don't like it, shut the fuck up Just about it. Just don't even say don't anything. Don't talk about it. Oh, like, I read some terrible, the reviews that I did read about this record were so like, I was, I was like, damn, 
nah, like, <laughs> like you, I don't know where you getting this from, but it sounds like you didn't listen. So, and I, I see that with other people's records. It's like, it sounds like you didn't even listen to it that much. Yeah, you, yeah. you listened to it one time. Or you picked out one line you didn't like or something. Yeah, and then yeah. you compare it to a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, man. Yeah. I, I it can always, be so, like offensive. It's yeah. just like, damn, are you even like, what's the point? Yeah, exactly. If you're, if you're not giving an indie record a glowing review, then all you're doing is taking money out of somebody's pocket who cares about music much more than you do. Right. That's how I look at yeah, it. Yeah, there's new people that read read this shit yeah, that you exactly. write, and they're going to, you know, you change the experience for them. I like going to movies and not knowing what the movie's about. Yeah, I totally. want to sit down and it's just like, let's see what happens. No spoilers. There's enough that takes away from the experience of music these days. Mm-hmm. You know, streaming already kind of takes away our value of music a lot of times now. It's so convenient where it's like you don't even value. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we, like, we make it too easy. Mm-hmm. We make it way too easy for people to just like, you know, they don't even want to go to Bandcamp if it's just on Bandcamp. They'll wait. Until no, wait till it's on Spotify yeah. so I can just press two buttons and then now I can hear it. Mm. It's like, mm. damn, like what happened to like sneaking out of the crib to get the CD at midnight? Right. <laughs> I mean, the last record that honestly that I, well, the, I paid for the new Makami record. I bought, I bought one of the, the Was that title albums. only? It's only on title right now, but I bought one of the vinyls. And oh, wow. It, this is the, uh, yeah. It I was, love Makami. It was expensive. He's, oh, I love him. Yeah. Um, but before that, the last um, album that I actually paid money for was Pink's, Pink Sifu's new record. Uh, Negro? Yeah, uh, on Bandcamp, because I was like, he, you know, just all the effort that he put into that, the website and everything. Mm-hmm. I was like, nah, I got to I gotta see what this is about. And so I bought it before it was ever on any streaming. Yeah, and it was amazing. I would. Did not think in a million years that's what it was going to sound like. Right. Nobody did. No. But it was cool how many people were receptive to it. Like, whoa. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's cool that people are open to different kinds of music. And, bro, how prophetic was that, that he released that, like, two months before the uprisings? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. And it was done for, uh, obviously, a minute before that even happened. A while. And it's like, it was just like he prophesied the mood that the country was going to be in for the next however long. It was, I don't know, man. That was, was, there was something with that. Yeah, that's a a crazy, crazy record. But, yeah. Like buying a record now feels like I I was that same kid that used to go every Tuesday and buy like three CDs, maybe, Uh you know. And so now to like have to seek out something and buy it, it it does feel it's like a chore, you know what I'm saying? But it feels good when you're done. But you know what's funny? It's like, and I kind of did this ever since Napster, or or I would be like, because it was funny when I was younger, like whatever, $18 would be like a lot for a CD for me. I didn't have any money, so I'd save up money to do that shit. Yeah. And I would be like, if yeah. I didn't like it, I'd be like, damn, did I just waste that? Like, I could have bought something else that I would like. So I, I do listen to records a lot of times before I'll get it. Mm-hmm. But if I listen to it a lot and I'm just like, I know I'm going to listen to it a lot, I go Support. and get it. Yeah, yeah. I go. But I like having the record or the. I like. See, I actually love CDs. Yeah. <laughs> I love CDs. Yeah, actually, just one of my favorite formats. I sold all my CDs, bro. I had like uh, 1,500 CDs, and I thought like uh, these aren't worth anything, and I right. I have them all ripped on my on my iMac or. Right. A lot of people did that. I sold them back to Amoeba, and I was surprised. I got like 500 bucks. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. Uh-huh. I was like, I was expecting to get like 100 bucks maybe. And they're uh-huh. like, no, here, because I had a bunch of underground rap shit that right. they thought people would buy. So The car I was driving for a minute Blow only had CDs. a CD player. Oh, okay. So I'd burn CDs, and I would buy CDs, and I was just, I just like having the, I like reading the booklet. I, I like reading the credits. I like having the actual thing. I hadn't had any physical um, 
music devices in my house for a while. It was all just like computers and speakers, right? Mm -hmm. And then my dad passed away and I inherited all of his records. So I shipped Mm -hmm. down from Alaska 850 pieces of vinyl. Wow. That are all from like, you know, maybe around 68, 69 to about 85 or whenever tapes really became a thing. Right, right. And I've been trying, and I brought him down, brought his old stereo down, his old Sanyo and, uh, or no, Sansui. And, uh, alphabetized them and I've just been going through mm. in order by alphabetical order. Isn't that interesting? It's such a different way to listen to music because it has no fucking rhyme or reason and right. it'll go from genre to genre. And right, your dad had a crazy record collection too? Yeah, Because my dad's huge. shit was all over the place. Dude, my dad was an obsessive music collector. Wow. Was yours? Uh, he was, I don't, I don't know if it was obsessive or yeah. not, but it was just it's just very eclectic. Yeah, totally. It was all over the place. Mine is, you know, for as as <clears throat> much as my dad's taste was eclectic um, before he got sick, his record collection is pretty. It's pretty like classic rockish. Okay, but he had a lot though. Like he had everything. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But in going through it, I was pretty surprised because like most of his adult life, he listened to a lot of um, a lot of blues and a lot of old soul and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the and that was all on tapes and CDs. But right. it, the record collection is all kind of like rock band. So it's pretty boring, mm-hmm. honestly, but it's still like all over the place just as far as like region and whatever. Like, right. Yeah. I remember asking my dad, I was just like, how did you know what to buy? Right. How are you in this? And he he would just be like, records were a lot cheaper than, I don't know. And he, Dude, he's the, like, I don't, I don't remember. I the don't price know why. tags are still on some of them. They're like $1.99. Yeah, like $2.99. Yeah. It has like the For sale. For vinyl, <laughs> yeah, bro. Yeah. 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 This is records were cheaper. Yeah. Instruments were cheaper. But I, I guess I just encouraged people to experiment with what they were listening to more. And he probably, you probably just like, you know, he was really into reading and he worked at, you know, libraries and probably dug for records the same way he dug for books yeah totally just be like this seems interesting let's see what it is yeah and he just grabs it I learned about Captain Beefheart from him and awesome. King Crimson and yeah I got that King, you know, King Crimson record I love right, that record yeah. right and just like jazz uh, you know like Charlie Parker and whatever yeah. like he was listening to that's so, cool yeah dope cool. we got off on a tangent as I was trying to do the outro that's fine though all good hey <laughs> So right now, if you guys are listening, go listen to Sunny Days Blue. It is a beautiful record. It's a, it's just, I hate to sound like I'm trying to sound young, but it is a vibe. It's a vibe. <laughs> it really is. Like, it just puts you in a mood. It takes you to a place. Right. Uh, really beautiful. Very, you, very man. happy for your accomplishment, man. man thank uh, you. Really stoked on all the work you do with everyone. So, yeah, I just think you're uh, uh, right now probably an underappreciated utility to the Los Angeles music scene. And I think, you you know, more people are going to find out about you as time goes on. And so, thank yeah, you, man. you're doing a lot of important shit thank you um tell the people where they can find you online swarvy.com um s-w-a-r-v-y.com at swarvy on instagram uh s-w-r-v-y on twitter yep you just google swarvy swarvy it'll come up you can uh listen to the new record on all streaming platforms as well as probably buy it on Bandcamp. i would Mm -hmm. imagine yeah you can grab it so go do that it's still vinyl or did you uh, sell out? Just vinyl for now. Uh, yeah, limited color vinyl. I don't. I don't even remember how many they pressed. But okay, but yeah. you can find the vinyl online if you're interested, and um, you can find him on YouTube performing a song today. What song are you going to perform? I think we're going to do Bones. Okay, today. so you're going to see him perform Bones on youtubecom slash neat. So go follow Swarvy at Swarvy uh, everywhere and check out that record. Uh, you guys know what the fuck it is. My name is Lee. Some of you might know me as Intuition. You can follow me at It's Intuition, or you can follow us as a unit at Kinda Neat across all platforms. I would very much love for you to go follow us on Instagram because, like I said, I was slacking on my Mackin' with that, so go help me catch up. Uh, YouTube.com slash Neat, where you're going to see Swarvy perform Bones and KindaNeat.net to see see everything wrapped up in a pretty package 
That was it, man. That's my man Swarvy. My name is Lee, and this was definitely kind of neat. Kinda neat.